from Los Angeles. Next, Rethinking Heroes. The so-called doomsday clock is now 90 seconds to midnight, the closest the world has ever been to global nuclear catastrophe. The movie Oppenheimer has brought into consciousness the real heroes of real nuclear war again. Russia and the U.S. are on hair-trigger nuclear alert. And on this 40th anniversary of the 1983 TV movie, The Day After, director Nicholas Meyer is revisiting Lawrence, Kansas, as PBS gears up to release a documentary about the TV movie that might have just saved the world. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top-secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. Wow, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh-oh, with me, Gary Harrison, as your guide. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Harry Harrison. This year, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, founded by Albert Einstein in 1947, has moved the hands of the so-called doomsday clock forward because of the mounting dangers of the war in Ukraine. The clock now stands at 90 seconds to midnight, and that's the closest to global catastrophe as it has ever been. And two weeks ago, we had a reporter live in Palestine, you might remember, whose signal was cut off before our broadcast. We still have not heard whether he was one of the 13,000 now reported dead there. Geopolitics used to be about just marching soldiers slowly covering real estate. Now it's drones, smart bombs, even AI currently operating fully autonomous weapon systems. With the ever-expanding war in Ukraine and the giant nuclear power plant, in that area down to one single emergency generator cooling the entire facility both russia and the u.s on hair trigger nuclear alert how many people would die from starvation just two years after a global nuclear war well here's a sobering number how about five billion three hundred and forty one thousand and if you think you're going to survive it by moving to new zealand it's too late Depending on when you were born, you might remember a famous TV movie, which uh, may have quite literally saved the world. If you're hearing this on a podcast or live stream instead of any of our different over-the-air radio stations, you may be of an age where you didn't know that a TV movie could rock the world. Well, back then, a TV movie was like Netflix. Everyone had it, and everyone watched it. And that was 40 years ago when ABC made a TV movie called The Day After during the Ronald Reagan presidency and the height of the Cold War. This 1983 movie was watched by over 100 million Americans, over 200 million Russians, and hundreds of millions, again, all around the world. The day after literally shook a nation, it rattled President Reagan, helped lead to history's biggest decline in nuclear weapons. Imagine a TV movie helping leading to history's biggest decline in nuclear weapons. Let's have more, shall we? And now we're all about to see a documentary on PBS called Television Event, all about that, and all about how that single movie changed a nation. If you're a streamer, you can go to our website at RethinkingHeroes.com to get more information. Also, sign up for our newsletter where we can send you links for that, uh, just under the Contact Us, and you'll find more information. With me right now is the director of The Day After, Nicholas Meyer, who also gave us Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, volunteers with Tom Hanks, The Deceivers, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, the HBO film Vendetta with Christopher Walken, plus screenplays and contributions to Summersby and Fatal Attraction and Prince of Egypt, among many, many others, uh, including the Netflix series Medici, 
Masters of Florence, starring Dustin Hoffman, and Star Trek Discovery for CBS All Access. And I do thank you for that, Nicholas. I have been watching it and enjoying it. Nicholas Meyer directed a history-changing TV movie, this one that we're talking about the day after, and it remains the single most watched television film ever made. 100 million people in one night. (laughs) Nominated for 14 Emmys, director Nicholas Meyer, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thank you. It's it's very nice to be here. I'm not sure I belong in the heroic category, but I'll I'll take it. That's what we do in Hollywood. Yes, that's exactly what we do in Hollywood. And we build a pantheon and it has more than five people in it. It has as many people as we need to be in it because what artists do is they reflect real life back to people who wouldn't ordinarily be able to see it with their own eyes or access it with their own eyes. And that's what you do when you create these projects, put them in front of a hundred million people and literally change the world. So, you know, it's not like you were tired on a Tuesday and thought, what shall I do today to stir up some, you know, I mean, you knew what you were doing. And and let's talk about that. You're heading back to the original filming location of the day after Lawrence, Kansas, to premiere this PBS documentary about your film. Why Lawrence, Kansas? This film was the brainchild of a man named Brandon Stoddard, who was then the head of ABC Circle Films, uh, which was their movie of the week division. And Brandon had made a big hit with a television series called Roots. And he Mm. was looking for a follow-up to Roots, something big. And he had gone to see a movie called The China Syndrome with Jack Lemmon and Michael Douglas and Jane Fonda, which was about an accident at a nuclear power plant. Um, And it came out the same week that the meltdown at Three Mile Island uh, nuclear power plant in Pennsylvania happened. Uh, So he got to thinking and what he thought up was what would a nuclear war between the United States and as it was the then Soviet Union look like? Not about military, not about government, not about policy, but just how it would be. Uh, experienced, let's put it mildly, by regular folk. And he looked at a map and figured out that Lawrence, Kansas, was somehow pretty much the geographic center of the continental United States and commissioned a writer named Edward Hume to write a screenplay about people going about their business in and around Lawrence, Kansas, and they get nuked. And and they do. And it's so realistic and all the behind the scenes stuff of the Hollywood hocus pocus of the day, giant fans that could blow winds at hurricane levels. I mean, it really was extraordinarily real. And I saw it as a little kid and it terrified the bejesus out of me. It also apparently affected President Ronald Reagan, who had been told that you can win a nuclear war and you should. And it's a great idea. And he watched this and apparently had nightmares. You gave the president of the United States nightmares. Well, uh, apparently I did. Um, this is not speculation. He, uh, in his memoirs, he, number one, talks about how upset and distressed the movie made. Ronald Reagan, uh, like everybody else, has been raised or was raised 
on a hundred years of Hollywood happy endings. Um, certainly that was his own experience as a Hollywood uh, film star. So he wasn't prepared as most of America was not prepared and certainly not network TV, whose main business is to sell advertising um, to see anything like this. The second source for Reagan's reaction was his biographer, Edmund Morris. Edmund Morris had previously won the Pulitzer Prize for the for his biography, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt. And he was Reagan's official biographer and lived in the White House for three years. And in the biography, he recounts Reagan's extreme d distraught reaction after seeing the movie. I also heard it from um, Morris's uh, own lips because I got to know him when I was adapting the screenplay of The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt for Martin Scorsese. And he said to me the only time he ever saw Reagan flip out was after he saw the movie. And by the way, this is not an uncommon reaction. Stalin, of all people, used to say that, you know, when a child falls down a well, that's a tragedy. But when millions die, that's statistics. And what the day after did, however clumsily it did it, was to give you a look beyond those statistics at what nuclear war would look like when those missiles take off. And there was a general on Castro's staff who, having seen the movie, said that the Cuban Missile Crisis had not been real to him until he saw the movie. So that gives you some idea of why and how people were so affected um, by the day after. We're talking right now to director Nicholas Meyer, who has brought us a bunch of different things from Star Trek to, I mean, he's written books. He's an expert on uh, uh, great British literature, sleuthing, uh, really just a, a man who can do and has done so much and everything and will continue because you can tell he's got appetite and and gumption and that's something that we like here in our pantheon of cool heroes and a pbs has made a documentary about what he did and how literally it did change the world and all the world leaders saw it and it dialed back the escalation of the nuclear war something we could use today just as two weeks ago the kremlin announced they were not going to participate in any uh stopping any above ground testing and they were going to go back to having a good old time which is terrifying to one and all because uh, that gives us, of course, pretext and permission just to follow suit. And here we go again. We need this movie and we need this uh, PBS documentary out now to remind us about this. So, Director Nicholas Meyer, what challenges did the team behind the day after your movie, what did they face in bringing in this in really as a vivid depiction of nuclear war to television screens, particularly in the face of corporates, uh, sponsors and White House pressures? Well, to begin with, nobody at ABC television, remember, there were only three networks, ABC, CBS and NBC. No, but everybody at ABC hated this project. <laughs> they, uh, they hated the movie from the get go um, because they they knew that they would lose sponsors. 
remember the that business that network television is is advertising yeah. and indeed they lost all their sponsors general foods general motors general mills all the generals headed for the hills um, including the generals in the military i imagine everybody well what happened with the military was that the military offered cooperation they offered men material equipment they offered helicopters battleships whatever you want on one condition that we made it clear that the Soviet Union started the war mm. and we told them to get lost, take a hike. And we and we did it without military cooperation. Um, so you have on the one hand, the network not wanting to make the movie, the sponsors not wanting to sponsor it. I think we had Orville Redenbacher popcorn. They they were in it for a little while, um, but you know this is the only movie ever made for network television that didn't stop for commercials. But it uh, had popcorn. It had yeah, it had popcorn, um, and we made it without military cooperation. Reagan's response to the movie can be divided really into two parts. You know, sort of before he saw it and after he saw it. Incidentally. Your uh, listeners might like to learn that in addition to the documentary, a new book was published last week, November 15th, uh, which is called uh, Apocalypse Television or Television Apocalypse, How the Day After uh, Helped End the Cold War mm. by, by a Professor David Craig. And it's a pretty even-handed, very well-written book, which recounts my humble self-effacing egomania um pretty good uh, and um it, it gets a few details wrong about the tug of war in the cutting room over the editing of the movie and that was another uh, tug of war um because there was a I, I should say that i was not the first director to be asked what the big problem about nuclear war is that nobody wants to think about it including me this is the most urgent question along with climate change that's ever confronted the human race 1945 oh, yeah. our ability to destroy ourselves and it's so bad we know it's out there but we don't like to think about it in the words of george bush go shopping and go shopping, go shopping and buy more and more and hope that it won't happen but hope as somebody observed is not a strategy and as I say, I was not the first director to be asked. They worked their way down to me. Um, and I was being psychoanalyzed at the time. And that's where you lie on the couch. I beg your pardon. Say the, first thing, say the first thing that comes into your head. And my shrink, who never spoke, listened to me mumbling on about how to not direct this movie. You know, and I was saying things like, well, you know, I've done Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan. I've done the, sure. the time after time directing a TV movie. That's really a step down for me, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, it is. And he said, well, I think this is where we find out who you really are. We're and talking right now to uh, uh, 
director Nicholas Meyer of the day after an award-winning author, a screenwriter, director, body of creative work in publishing and film television spanning more than five decades. Mr. Meyer gave us, as he just said, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Volunteers, The Deceiver, Star Trek VI, the HBO film Vendetta, plus screenplays and contributions to Summersby, Fatal Attraction, and Prince of Egypt. Recently, the Netflix series Medici, Masters of Florence, and Star Trek Discovery for CBS. His seminal work, The Day After, still remains remains the single most watched television film ever made with a hundred million people in one night nominated for 14 Emmys and we're taking a look at what it was like to put out a TV movie that unintentionally I mean you wanted to make a good film but you had no idea that the people of Earth would just get on their knees and I'm going to play you a little piece of audio this is from the federal government it's tiny and it's they were just reminding people every day you're probably going to die of a nuclear attack just get ready for it but it's done so kind of blithely and glibly I mean like it's almost funny the best part is the very end when they tell you really there's nothing you can do here it is I beg your pardon there's been an interruption but in today's world we live with a continuing possibility of such interruptions as we contemplate the shape of muscus agaricus or poisonous mushroom it is an ominous fact that man's knowledge allows him to obliterate his very civilization if he chooses Modern science has provided bombers which can span continents and oceans. Guided missiles are expected to fly at supersonic speeds. Bombers can deliver the H-bomb. Missiles may have H-bomb warheads. The A-bomb which did this to Hiroshima is now a mere firecracker in today's lineup of thermonuclear pyrotechnics. The explosive power delivered by all bombs dropped by U.S. planes in World War II did not equal that released by the recent test explosion of an H-bomb. How much heat does an H-bomb produce? The temperature on the surface of the fireball is as great as that generated on the surface of the sun. If sudden nuclear warfare should hit America, people will have to take care of themselves. The military would have a war to fight. People will have to take care of themselves. You're at the self-serve pump. Because the military is fighting a war, except that the military is toast also. And that's what you showed us in the movie. There is no force that's hanging around doing anything except ducking and covering. We saw uh, the actor Jason Robards, and this is what I remember burnt into my my memory, is almost no hair left from the exposure to the radiation, staggering through the streets, that kind of stuff. How aware were the other actors on the set of the day after, like Jason Robards or Steve Gutenberg, whom we had hoped to have on the show today, but his last-minute shooting schedule made today's appearance not possible, but all the others. Like, how aware were they of what they were actually doing? That's a very interesting question. Um, Actors uh, who are kind of amazing people, uh, they do things that the rest of us spend our lives avoiding doing, which is to reach down into their souls and expose themselves as they are able to uh, simulate responses to terrible situations. Um, 
But in the process, they wind up learning a lot of things that they never knew. I dare say that when Christopher Nolan hired Cillian Murphy to play J. Robert Oppenheimer, he may never have even heard of J. Robert Oppenheimer before he became immersed in the life of that particular individual or Helen Mirren playing Golda Meir, uh, mm-hmm. as she now is, is doing. So the actors learn along the way. And they're being sensitive and impressionable people. Um, what you're learning, particularly about nuclear war, all the stuff we'd rather not learn, is, is simply ter- It's just terrifying. It's and very upsetting. And and they had nightmares. Uh, they had nightmares. I did not. I was very busy trying to make the movie and navigating the. Uh, political minefield into which I found that I was waiting. You said a minute ago that I was trying to make a good movie, but I wasn't. I would assume. (laughs) No, I wasn't. Okay. Uh, This was a learning curve for me. I began by thinking that I wanted to make a good movie, but then I realized that if the movie was really good in terms of cinema, that people would talk about the movie and they wouldn't talk about the subject, which no one wants to talk about, which is nuclear war. So what I really wanted to make was a kind of public service announcement. If you have a nuclear war, this is what it might look like, P.S., on a good day. I didn't want to make something on the one hand so terrible that people would reach for the clicker for the remote and just shut the thing off or go to another channel. We didn't want that. But I also didn't want standout movie star performances. I didn't want brilliant cinematography. I didn't want a catchy title song. Um, in fact, I didn't. I no didn't Shirley Bassey. I didn't want music. Um, right. There's there's very little music in the movie because I didn't want to be accused of goosing people's emotions, of editorializing. I just I just wanted to say and and Brandon Stoddard wanted the same thing. He didn't want to say who started it. He didn't want to say what it was about because you and I will never know what it's about. We'll just be toast. And we won't know who started it, period the end. Um and we'll be toast if we're lucky. Because yeah. the survivors will envy the dead. So I was trying to m- make a very simple kind of building blocky type movie um, that just showed people like us, you know, going around and leading our lives and, and then getting zapped. And it worked. It worked. Uh, the fact that you unmade a movie by making a movie by purposely unmaking it, of course, made it. And that's the meta meta of it all that makes it so brilliant and makes you such a great storyteller. I'm gonna ask you to pause for a second. When we return, we're gonna continue uh, with Nicholas Meyer for a few more minutes and then be joined by uh, Jeff Daniels, who is the director of the PBS documentary that's being released all about Nicholas Myers's movie, the effect it has had on this 40-year anniversary, and where the world stands today and all the good work we still have to do here on Rethinking Heroes. Listen, well, it's still legal. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. 
Carrie Harrison with a quick life hack. Just remember this. Call the tax doctor and let their team of experts work it out with the IRS so you can keep your money. They know the IRS laws and will fight to save your money. If you owe the IRS a ton of cash and you want to keep it, call right now and learn for free how they can help put it back in your pocket. 800-281-7048. Rethinking Heroes. Life after the military. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month. Level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred not tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. That's 855 855- 5-5-5-2-5-74-48. Attention men, here's a great way to have more fun in bed and save money. If you want to take something like Viagra, well, they can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill. Yep, $2 a pill. Compare that to prices as high as $60 per tablet. These pills work for us to improve our performance and confidence, and you're going to love them. And now for the price of two or three pills, you can get 50 or more pills for around 100 bucks. You're going to save hundreds of dollars off of retail prices. And that's enough to buy your date a nice dinner. Don't pay expensive prices for Viagra. Call now and order 50 or more of our blue pills and pay as little as $2 a pill. Save hundreds of dollars. Call Steelman Pills now for confidential shipping. 800-814-5031. 800-814-5031. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. RethinkingHeroes.com We're looking at the... uh, we're looking at a movie of the single most watched TV movie in human history. The day after a Cold War era, Ronald Reagan era, King Ronald the first who had ascended the throne, the first king we had had since King George the third. And that was during the Cold War. And it was the nuclear Holocaust era. And it was a TV movie seen by 100 million Americans, 200 million Russians. Imagine such a thing. But as today we talk and walk in somnambulistic bliss and we watch, oh, Kardashian billboards as we drive by or the golden buzzers on America's Got Talent. I'm sorry, I can't help my sarcasm, but let's just give a nod to Albert Einstein, who gave us the doomsday clock, which is now set at 90 seconds to midnight, the time of true and imminent and real and possible serious nuclear apocalypse. 
all that in one sentence, say that 10 times fast, and I'll give you a dollar. The government used to run short documentaries. We talked about it, but no one wanted to know about it. And then you had heroic directors like Nicholas Meyer, who came out and made this movie the day after. So, Nicholas Meyer, a couple of more questions before we jump in and say hello to Jeff Daniels. Um, You were also, uh, uh, you were dealing with actors. You had dealt with sci-fi. We had The Day the Earth Stood Still in, what was that, 1959 or something, Robert Wise. That was the first movie that ever scared the living you-know-what out of me with Gort the Robot. All of this is sort of a retelling of that because that's what that was about. This was what that was about. And still, I don't think you're going to find anyone over the age of like 50 who has not heard of The Day After and did not see it and suddenly has that that reaction in their gut when they find out you're the guy that did it do you do you experience that a lot what i hear about are a lot of bad parents because people who are you know say oh yes i saw this when i was a kid and and it totally traumatized me and all i could think of is what kind of parents did you have that would dream of allowing a child to watch this movie that just you know, they should go to juvenile court or something. Um, but what you, can know, I you, said, you said you said it earlier. We had three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. Where are you going to go? You could go to UHF and watch the Little Rascals or the Three Stooges. I mean, this was the American Broadcasting Corporation. You know, this is where we got our news at night. This is where we got our soap operas in the afternoon. So this was the movie of the week. And and the network was promoting their movies of the week, must-see TV and all this other business. So we just sat down and enjoyed. Well, ABC was not promoting this. Uh, again, if you, if you look at Jeff's documentary, if you look at uh, this new book, Apocalypse Television, um, you will learn that ABC was by this point terrified of, of the movie. They had always hated it from the get-go. Uh, I never realized this until I saw Jeff's documentary that that there were lot. Uh, Brandon Stoddard's life was threatened. He found a note on his windshield and said, "This could have been a bomb." Um, the mm. the the conservative movement, largely led, I think by William Buckley and a woman named Phyllis Schlafly, mm. uh, who said that, you know, the nuclear weapons were God's gift to America or something like that. Uh, we're running up and down like Chicken Little yelling that the sky was falling if this movie was to get on the air. And there's nothing like being in band in Boston to attract, you know, book sales and being told, you know, don't watch this movie, uh, help make it the success that it became um, without that controversy and and the aid of the nuclear freeze movement, which decided to cash in on this movie, uh, you could argue the movie two ways, and people did. Initially, Reagan's idea was to say, well, this movie proves that my policies are right. Remember, he came to office believing in a winnable nuclear war you remember george c scott and dr strangelove saying uh, mr yeah. president i'm not saying we're not going to get our hair must but 10 yeah. 20 million dead tops again that's that abstraction the statistical abstraction but they say that one picture is worth a thousand words and you start to see which the day after shows you 
what the effects of a, a nuclear series of missiles and, and bombs do. And then you can't quite sort of dismiss it as 10, 20 million abstract people because you're just watching human beings and it, it ain't pretty. Yeah, I, uh, Director Nicholas Meyer, I was in Nagasaki a couple of years ago and I went to see where we had dropped the first of the uh, one of the nuclear bombs. It was fat man and little boy and Nagasaki's completely rebuilt, as is Hiroshima. But they've left an area, a square area where things used to stand and you still see charred brick. But every day there are thousands of school children that come through and visit this and learn about the history of it. And I remember standing there, and I don't think I've cried since I was a teenager, because uh, I live in the American culture, and we all know you can't cry if you're male. <laughs> and so I hadn't done this, you see. I forgot how it worked. There's apparently tear ducts and other bits of plumbing that I'd forgotten about. And I'm standing there surrounded by these kids, and I friggin' started weeping. And I couldn't stop. Here I'm having recall. Um, it was just so palpable and, and real. And then, I, and then, like the ugly American, I start apologizing. I, I can't be the first one who's ever done that. Um, but it helps to do that. And what your movie has done for those who will not get to Nagasaki or Hiroshima is you walk us through what it looks like for our, our own fellow Americans to be in exactly that state. And then you presented something interesting in the movie where people got hostile. Jason Robards at the end was telling someone to leave his home. I mean, what else did he have? Nothing, you know, a piece of charred brick and a lean to, but there were people sitting there taking shelter, but that's all he had left. So we actually also see what happens to people in when desperation is so acute. I also should uh, remind your listeners or inform them that there have been a series of nuclear accidents and close calls. Were you aware that two nukes were once dropped on North Carolina? In the 50s, yeah. right? I think so. Late 50s. Yeah. yeah. They didn't go off. Um, or what about the monkey wrench that dropped into a missile silo in Arkansas? Um, and almost precipitated a chain reaction that was going to wipe out all of Arkansas. And then there was Colonel Petrov, the Russian officer who had the smarts not to respond to an incoming, what looked like a, four incoming missiles from the United States. And Yuri Andropov, who was very old, the Soviet premier, was convinced that Ronald Reagan was going to attack. And here are these four missiles coming in and everybody in the watch room and the listening post is crying and throwing up. And 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 Petrov thought, well, if they want to uh, attack us, why are they only sending four missiles? I don't think this is missiles. So he didn't call the Kremlin. So they didn't push the button. And 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 if, for having saved the world, he was drummed out of the military and sent to Siberia. But he did wind up at the U.N. introduced at the General Assembly as the man who saved the world. Big close call. Incidentally, all he wanted was to meet Kevin Costner because <laughs> um, he, he had a VHS copy of The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston. And he, <laughs> he, he wanted to meet Kevin Costner. And he, and he did. 
But as Daniel Ellsberg and others have said, luck is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Right now, for example, when people say, well, what could we do about this? The first thing we could do is write your congressman, write write your senator and and say, let's get rid of all our land-based missile silos that make us sitting ducks. We're all sitting with a target on our back. At this point, everybody who wishes us ill knows where those missile silos are, not only in Lawrence, Kansas, but all over the continental U.S. Get rid of those and, you know, leave it to the Polaris submarines. Those are mobile. Those are hidden. Um, And just take that step back for a start. But don't don't just sit there and say, I'm going shopping because a nuclear war is going to ruin your whole Black Friday (laughs) sale. I I oh, it'll be a Black Friday. All right. That's the point. Yeah, it's it's doom time. Um, Director Nicholas Meyer, before we bring in uh, another director of the PBS documentary called Television Event about your movie The Day After, um, I would love to, but we can't hear. But maybe another time, if you're feeling uh, open and ambitious, to have you back on to talk a little bit about Star Trek, my favorite franchise ever, uh, the book you wrote about it, and some of the other cool stuff you do, because um, sure. who doesn't want to talk about that? So let's jump over right now. I'm just going to uh, remind you that we have been talking and still are talking to director Nicholas Meyer, award-winning author, screenwriter, director, creative work in publishing, film, television, more than five decades, gave us Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, Volunteers, The Deceiver, Star Trek VI, uh, HBO's Vendetta, uh, Netflix series Medici, Star Trek Discovery for CBS, and of course, The Day After, uh, the single most watched television film ever made, a hundred million people in one night nominated for 14 Emmys. That said, and now that we're sitting and basking in the glory of his achievements, let's jump over and say hi to the director of the PBS documentary called Television Event. That's going to be another for real television event. And not only does it provide behind the scenes footage of what really went on at the network level, but you're going to find that director Jeff Daniels has been active not just talking about the problem, but really doing something about it. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Don't forget to go get our newsletter under the contact portion at RethinkingHeroes.com. And we're going to send you links to this uh, PBS series uh, where you can watch and buy the DVDs and all the rest of it so that you can be up to speed on this little problem we have called nukes and the doomsday clock. And uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, I was going to go on a, a long rant about what happens when you're exposed to nuclear weapons. But I think, Nicholas, you covered that so beautifully that I don't actually need to. So mm-hmm. let's say hi to uh, Jeff. Uh, and before watching the groundbreaking nuclear ha- uh, Holocaust TV movie the day after, Ronald Reagan was egged on by officials who believed he could fight and win a nuclear war. But as he <clears> says in his memoirs, the day after film left him deeply depressed. With us is Jeff Daniels, director of the PBS documentary television event, multi-award winning independent director, producer, specializing in feature length documentaries. And for 20 years, Jeff has directed and produced observational, investigative and authored documentaries, for both television and theatrical release. Theatrical means movie theaters, by the way, and is currently producing a number of I know you have to say that. To Remember people. those? Broadway. Yeah. Broadway? Why, why, yes. And Tony's, he can sing. Uh, he's currently producing a number of feature length and short documentary films, as well as promotional style projects for nonprofits. Get this. 
He was also a high school teacher for 15 years and a visiting university lecturer. So the stuff that matters in life matters to him. Jeff Daniels also facilitates mentoring and educational opportunities for teens and early career practitioners who are entering the film industry. And director Jeff Daniels, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Great to be here, Carrie. Thanks. So you've jumped in right in the middle of our boiling frogs here, and we realize mm-hmm. that many of us are, are, you know, out of sight, out of mind, or never even knew about it. Uh, but you're smack dab in the middle of not only retelling a story, but it has reawakened in you what's really happening today. So here we've got this PBS documentary. What is it we're going to see? You're going to see a time when television had uh, uh an influence that you really just don't see these days with our fragmented media landscape, Uh, a time where you could have 100 million people watching the same thing at the same time. It it shows the power that uh, television, but also that artists can have to try and find some way to translate the complications and the horrors of, in this case, nuclear war in a way that is not just digestible, but prime time entertainment. Uh, I just felt that um, this film, that period, and what Nicholas Meyer was able to achieve with his uh, his cast and crew was something worth documenting. Well, and you have, and I've been lucky enough to see a lot of the behind the scenes footage that I had no, I didn't know that exists. I knew there was behind the scenes, but you have like little kids being interviewed back then in, in the gym where they're being scanned with dosimeters to find out if the thyroids are glowing, all practice, because that's what one did in school. Between math and geography, you went and had your thyroid scanned for radiation. And I mean, this is just how one lived. And to get that part, that this was like, and it's worse today. That's the thing is, the doomsday clock is 90 seconds to midnight. And this is part of what you do with overlaps with the United Nations and bringing all of this awareness to the world in different ways, not only through PBS, thank God, definitely the most single-watched network nowadays, just like in public radio, we have the halo effect and are considered the better version of the crap that's out there. But that's where you are. You're in the non-crap pile because your stuff is really important. How does PBS react to this? Are they nervous a little like ABC was? I I think that um, public broadcasters are far more gutsy in showing independent, uh, independently produced films that are driven by their creatives, driven by the directors and the producers that were behind this film. That's why I'm so glad to have our film broadcast on on PBS. Um, It's uh, usually uh, I think this is also why I found it so interesting that Nicholas Meyer, someone who had his own personal reasons for being driven to to make this film and everyone had their own intentions. They were trying to speak to the broadest possible audience. And so by working with television and trying to have this uh, give and pull, almost impossible compromise between someone uh, such as Nicholas Meyer and everything that he'd achieved before, his his personal uh, intentions behind the film and the need to make something that showed that um, whoever pressed that button is irrelevant. We are going to be living in a world that uh, where our future is unknown and uh, it, living a life that is not worth living. That's what Nicholas Meyer brought to this. And, um, and so I think it's very appropriate to show to a public broadcaster that 
appreciates how all of that works and how you try and uh, bring these types of messages to uh, to broad audiences. Amen to that. I'm going to do a quick confession to two directors, director Nicholas Meyer and director Jeff Daniels. My father was at a sack base uh, back in the 1950s before the movie Dr. Strangelove. And my father was a roaring alcoholic and used to you know, drive Porsches around as fast as he could in a circle thinking he would win. I'm sure he probably did with himself. But he had, uh, he was an officer and he, this is before the fail safe system and he had the codes and he decided as a good John Bircher, you can Google that if you're listening on a stream and have no idea what that means. He was a good John Bircher and decided just to dispatch the Russians. Let's just handle this and get it done with as if nothing's going to happen over here in Ellsworth, Mm. South Dakota. And he read the codes and the pilots balked. They balked. They knew him from getting hammered in the officer's club, but still they balked. And thank God, this is another wrench that Nicholas <laughs> Meyer talked about. This is another double. Are you are you saying, excuse me, that your father was General Buck Turgid, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, General Jack D. Ripper from yeah. Dr. Strangelove? Yeah, yeah. My mother told this story to me about 10 years ago. They had been long divorced and he had already died. And she just, you know, she had been heartbroken about it forever and terrified (laughs) because he got that close. And because these pilots had never done this before in their generation. And they all remembered Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They balked. There was no like higher level to four, two keys and this and that. And you go through the sequence where you're, it's so robotic and so trained that you're actually willing to do mm. it. This was like, just open the bomb bay, just let it go. And, and they didn't. So this stuff happens so much more often than any of us knows about. We just mm. know the public stories. And Jeff Daniels, you and your impact producers plans, you're going to utilize this documentary that we're going to see on PBS, the documentary about Nicholas Myers's the day after you're going to be using it as an educational tool during the what's called the states parties meeting at the UN. So you're going to get it right in front of all the grownups. When is when when is it going to be on the air? It's going to be on the air um, towards the middle of next year. So we're uh, we're going to receive a broadcast date soon. Uh, but right. um, yeah, we'll be the, the sooner it's on the air, the, the better, oh, yeah. Jeff, <laughs> the way things are going. Absolutely. Well, there's air to be on. I hear that. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, this this film really hit me uh, the day after and documenting how a film like this could be made from a network like ABC, the network that gave us happy days the love boat and fantasy islands about to drop a nuclear bomb on the american living room i just thought hey how and how in the hell could a film like this get made and um it, it just shows what it takes um to try and get someone like nicholas meyer and so many of the uh, the other people who work with them stephanie austin and Bob papazian and uh, all these people who believed that what they were doing by presenting just the effects of a nuclear war um, what what that can do in terms of affecting a person emotionally so that they're connected to this otherwise really complicated subject that requires levels of understanding. It hits them on an emotional level. It hits them personally so that they understand and have a sense of urgency to do something about this. And so this is why I'm so glad to join my impact producers, Arthur Knigas and Melanie Bennett, 
um, who run an organization called The World is My Country, and, and they're um, very much involved in anti-nuclear activities, specifically with ICANN, which stands for the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. They just recently won the Nobel Peace Prize for their work setting up a treaty with the UN that uh, uh, to abolish nuclear weapons, which to date, 69 countries have signed on to. And what they do is they um, put the companies that create these nuclear weapons into a position where they have to either deal with their country or, or not. And so far, two out of the 20 companies in the world that make these nuclear weapons have um, have stopped doing so. So they're actually creating practical measures uh, to uh, try and do something about the um, horrific uh, situation of um, what seems to be a coming uh, arms race once again. Um, so uh, it's, I'm so happy to represent my film, to speak with delegates as I am here in New York and with uh, other campaigners and scientists to um, uh, present my film and also try and really push this mes message that artists are necessary at times like this to translate issues we'd rather not confront into ways that are urgent and personal as they should be so that we can work collectively to act. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com If you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-413-6441. 800-413-6441. That's 800-413-6441. Kerry Harrison with you, and you've heard me talk about our newsletter. Well, it's powered by Kartra. K-A-R-T-R-A. And in upcoming shows, we're going to tell you how you can get a discount to be able to not only send fully beautiful newsletters with video embedded with everything, but also the same system will allow you to funnel money, sell items, everything you ever wanted all in one spot. It's extraordinary. So if you sign up right now for our newsletter by going to RethinkingHeroes.com and just go under contact, boom, drop down, sign up for our newsletter at RethinkingHeroes.com. We're going to show you what Kartra can do and in upcoming shows really show you what it can do. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. That's 855-525-7448. 
Carrie Harrison with you, Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at RethinkingHeroes.com under Contact Us. Get our free newsletter and our fancy new Kartra system. We're talking right now with award-winning director Nicholas Meyer, who directed The Day After. It is the still single most watched TV movie in the world with 100 million people in a single night. Because of that, 40 years later on this anniversary, another director, Jeff Daniels, has created a PBS documentary which shows all the behind stuff, behind the scenes, footage, and conversations and interviews with people surrounding that movie and what they had to go through to pull it off. I just you know, don't, uh, I, I don't want Brandon Stoddard to be lost in the shuffle here. Mm. He, he was not an artist. He was an executive. He had done after school specials and he and he did roots um, and he had to threaten to resign unless they put his this movie on the air that he was a lone, a lone voice. The movie was made because of of him. I'd also like to quote Jason Robards, who, when he was offered the role in the movie, said, well, this beats signing petitions. Um, so he was, you know, definitely, uh, 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 committed as well. Sorry to interrupt. No, no not at all. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Yeah. The, the people, um, uh, behind ABC, uh, you know, Stu Samuels as well was part of this real push and pull in terms of what can work on television. And, uh, uh, I was glad that we were able to get him into the mix with our film, a, uh, a kind of vice president, uh, network executive, figure who um, may not understand everything involved in creativity and trying to put out an important message, but he knew television and what would work on television. It's unbelievable how all these different people with different perspectives came together to create a film the day after that had such an, uh, an unprecedented impact. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Don't forget to go to RethinkingHeroes.com and get our newsletter under the Contact Us portion, RethinkingHeroes.com. We're going to send you links to everything, including a transcript of this conversation. And we're just right at the end here. Um, we're talking to dueling directors, director Nicholas Meyer. Uh, they're on the same team, thank God, and director uh, Jeff Daniels. And... Uh, Having I have lived in Los Angeles for 20 years myself, not everyone in the entertainment business is willing to put their neck out to stand up for the people of Earth, the upright mammals whom they will never meet, even though the people, the same people of Earth pay for the tickets that provide such a great lifestyle for so many. Does having a conscience and an appetite for a better world come with a difficult price sometimes for you guys? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, Nicholas Meyer has a lot to say about this, uh, uh, but um uh, yeah, it, it really, um, when you're trying to gain, I, I guess what I'd like to say about this really is the, uh, um, the work of people like Nicholas Meyer films, documentaries that documents these moments. Um, what I'm hoping people can gain from them is an understanding of what collectively they can do to make a difference. It's so appropriate for me to uh, show this film in Lawrence, Kansas, to have a theatrical launch in the United States in Lawrence, Kansas, a community that in the thousands uh, participated in the making of the tel uh, of uh, the day after. It's um, and it's, 
your show, uh, Rethinking Heroes, how appropriate uh, for this. Heroes are very much in the collective, and it takes individuals sometimes working together uh, to create these creative works to help galvanize large amounts of people so that they um, are able to work collectively to affect the kind of change that is really necessary, especially at moments like this. So, um, yeah, that's, um, it, you know, it becomes worth it to, to facilitate that as an individual or and, and to get other people behind you. Regrettably, we're out of time. And if I remember historically, Lawrence, Kansas also fought to be slave free uh, in its history. So it really is a special place, a place that you both have picked to go back and bring the cast and crew of the day after and have a big old hoot nanny and then present this new PBS special, which I highly recommend people watch. You can go get our newsletter. We're going to give you all the information as we learn it simply by going to rethinkingheroes.com and under the contact us. I want to thank you so much, Nicholas Meyer, director of the day after award-winning author, screenwriter, director, your body of creative work in publishing film and television, more than five decades, Star Trek two volunteers under uh, HBO fatal attraction, Prince of Egypt, Egypt, uh, Star Trek Discovery, the day after, still the single most watched television film ever made, a hundred million people in one night. Who wouldn't want to access that nowadays? And then, of course, nominated for 14 Emmys. Also with us, the wonderful director and obviously man of good humor, Jeff Daniels, director of the PBS documentary about the day after called Television Event, multi-award winning independent director, producer, uh, featuring, that's speaking and featuring on campuses. Uh, you're an academic, you're cool, you're groovy. I am so glad that everybody has been here today and I have to beg for money for a couple of minutes. So I'm just gonna let you guys go and thank you once again for joining us today. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison, rethinkingheroes.com. Attention men, here's a great way to have more fun in bed and save money if you want to take something like viagra well they can give you a way to pay as little as two dollars a pill yep two dollars a pill compare that to prices as high as sixty dollars per tablet these pills work for us to improve our performance and confidence and you're gonna love them and now for the price of two or three pills you can get 50 or more pills for around 100 bucks, You're going to save hundreds of dollars off of retail prices. And that's enough to buy your date a nice dinner. Don't pay expensive prices for Viagra. Call now and order 50 or more of our blue pills and pay as little as $2 a pill. Save hundreds of dollars. Call Steelman Pills now for confidential shipping. 800-814-5031 If you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-413-6441. 800-413-6441. 800-413-6441. That's 800-413-6441.